Morning, Brookside. How's everybody doing? Doing all right? Good. It's great to, it's great to see you. It's great to be with you uh, this morning. And um, I, uh, I, too, just want to say a special welcome to you if you're newer to Brookside. Uh, we're really, uh, really glad that you're here. It's really fun to see what God is continuing to do in our midst. You know, it just never gets old when you see God using the church or when you see lives within the church being changed on a continual basis, and uh, it's phenomenal. So we want to welcome you here, and uh, yeah, thanks for, thanks for joining us today. Well, today's a, a big morning for us. As Chris alluded to, we're starting a new series this morning, and the new series is called The Power of Genuine, and um, we're looking at First uh, Peter for this series, and we're going to be talking about what does it mean to have a genuine, to have an authentic, to have a, a real, to have a not bizarre, not weird, but uh, the kind of faith that is appealing, it's attractive, it's, it's uh, enduring, it's strong, it can uh, weather some storms. Uh, what does it mean to have that? And so we're going to be looking at this letter that was written 2,000 years ago um, by the Apostle Peter, and he was writing to a group of churches, and uh, in this letter are some incredible words uh, for us this morning and in these next five weeks weeks, we'll really be unpacking them together. So uh, I want us just in kind of a formal way just to pray together before we start uh, because it's, uh, when we're on the front end of a series and we're headed into one for five weeks, um, we want to say, hey, that's a big deal. We're running into uh, or we're jumping into a series that, that um, is based on a book that God gave us as a, a total gift to us. And so we want to pray that God would use that now in our midst and really lead us these five weeks. And so would you pray with me, and then, uh, then we'll dive in. So let's do it. Heavenly Father, we, uh, we just want to pause here, and uh, we just want to say, we, first, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that we can worship you this morning. We thank you that you've brought us here together. We think of, um, there are people here maybe that have had a great week. There are others that are struggling. Lord, whatever our situation, our circumstance would be, Lord, uh, we give those things to you today. And Lord, we turn our attention to you now, and we just say, Lord, you are amazing. You are great. And Lord, we want to pray today that you would just really, you would stun us by who you are. That we would leave here today with such a great sense of who you are that it would motivate us, that it would inspire us. And so, Lord, that's our prayer. Would you take these words that were written 2,000 years ago to this group of churches and would you, Lord, uh, speak to us through them? Would you do a great work in this church as a result of us? hearing, but not only hearing, um, but acting on these words that you give us as a gift today. So would you pray now, and would you pray for the person next to you? Would you pray for Brookside? Pray for our church. Pray that God would continue to do a great work as we hear from him, and invite God to really speak into your heart this morning. So take just a minute and just say, Lord, those are my prayers. I bring them before you, and, um, and then, Lord, would you speak to me? So go ahead and have that kind of a conversation. I just want to give you a minute to do that on your own. Go ahead. Father, it's with great confidence that we pray, and um, Lord, we thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus Christ, and this morning we pray um, that we would just honor you so well. We love you, and um, we thank you for this time. We trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, well, if today after the service, um, one of you walked up to me <clears throat> and you uh, presented me a book, you gave me a book as a gift, or if you, sent, you said, hey, I just sent you a, a digital copy of a book, um, and I want you to read the book. 
the first thing that I would do upon receiving that book from you is I would, I would look at the title, that would be interesting to me, but then I would quickly glance past that and I would be most interested to know who wrote, who wrote this book. Um, if you got a long email from somebody or, or let's say you got, even got a handwritten letter in the mail, you know, who does that, right? But you got one in the mail, what would you do first? You'd flip to the last page and you'd say, okay, who, who wrote this? And the reason why that would be so significant to you and the reason why before I would spend time reading a book, I would want to know who wrote it. And the reason is because that person's life, that person's circumstances, that person's motivations, the things that have gone on in that person's life completely dictate the content of that book or of that letter that would be coming to me um, that you would want me to read. And so I would want to know that. This morning, I think it's critical for us to understand exactly who wrote this letter um, of 1 Peter. Um, it's, it's critical for us to understand where was he coming from? Why did he write it? All those sorts of things. The other thing that I think is critical for us this morning is to understand why did he write it? What was his motivation? What was going through the mind of Peter when he was penning this letter to us that we would be able to read now here today, 2,000 years later? What was his motivation? What did he want to achieve by writing this letter? So um, let's dive into the author first. We know that the apostle Peter uh, was the one who, who penned this letter, 1 Peter. Now, if you grew up in church, you might have some things that quickly come to mind when you think of Peter. You might think, well, Peter was impulsive. Um, Peter, no doubt about it, Peter was a leader right out of the chute. I mean, he, he went first often. You might say that Peter even maybe was a little bit foolish at times. Um, we know that, that Peter, um, in his impulsiveness, in his quick to lead, um, we know when uh, Jesus approached the disciples and then he's, well, Jesus is walking on water and, and they're in the boat and, and they're terrified, it says, but Peter, he cries out to God and he says, Lord, if it is you, tell me to come to you. And so the Lord responds to him, Peter jumps out of the boat. Now, he was, he was impulsive, right? He, he did things quickly. He was quick, quick to go. We also know this about Peter. Peter arguably spent more time with Jesus Christ than any of the other 12 disciples. Uh, Peter was not only a part of the 12, but he was also a part of the inner circle, the three, Peter, James, and John. So he knew Jesus Christ very well. Undeniably, the life of Jesus Christ impacted Peter in a very, very strong way. We see as Jesus was being arrested to be taken to the cross, what does Peter do just instinctively? He draws a sword, lops off the ear of one of the soldiers that was seizing Jesus. Instinctively, just stood up right for Jesus, right then, boom. But then we see the, the, the next day, the, the, the night before Jesus would go to the cross, what did Peter do? Peter, in his fear, he denied Jesus Christ three times. He, he was like us. I mean, he had, he had fears. He, he genuinely got afraid. He wasn't the type that was in that moment like, oh, I'll do it no matter what. I'll be associated with you, Jesus. No, instead he said, I, I, I don't know him. He shunned away. It's another side of, of, of Peter. You might be tempted at times to listen to this book of 1 Peter and to say to yourself, you know what? If Peter actually knew my circumstances, I don't think he would be telling me to do these things through God's word. If Peter really understood my circumstances... But this is how I kind of want you to think about, and I want the weight of who wrote this book to really land with you. Know this about Peter. Peter, not only did he spend significant time with Jesus, he saw him go to the cross. Peter also saw Jesus Christ uh, post-resurrection. He saw him alive and well after he had, after he had been in the tomb and, and, and risen from the dead. Peter saw that, and it gripped him. 
It changed him. This brings weightiness to this. Peter was executed because of his faith in Jesus Christ. Tradition has it that when Peter was being led to be executed, when he went to Rome, he said to them, he said, don't crucify me. They were going to crucify him. He said, don't crucify me like you crucified Jesus. Turn me upside down. He said, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy to be crucified like Jesus was. Peter, you're going to notice this as well. When you listen to Peter, the, the teachings of Jesus just ooze out of him. You, you can't help but hear the echoes of the words of Jesus Christ when he teaches. Now, I don't know anybody who's been um, crucified upside down, so I'll be honest with you. When I think of my own circumstances, when I read this book, I go, whoa, this guy's writing from a perspective that has a lot of weight. It carries a, a, a lot of authority. Um, there's a sense of weightiness to his writing. Um, secondly, the critical question is, why did Peter write this letter? Um, what was his motivation? What was going through his mind? Uh, Peter, know this, is writing to a group of Christians that lived really in a culture that's a lot like ours. Uh, they lived in a culture where the ways of Jesus were not the majority. These Christians that Peter's writing to, this group of churches, um, they would have been feeling like, okay, we're the minority. We're kind of going uh, against the current um, they would have felt like they were alienated. They would have felt like they had been, uh, at times, they, they would have been ridiculed for their faith in Jesus Christ. And so Peter's writing to a church that's being persecuted. This church, though, these, or sorry, these churches, they were chasing after Jesus. In their culture, there were many people that were going after multiple kinds of different gods. Whatever they would put as their number one, that was their God. And they were going after that, but this group of people they were going against the grain. They were pursuing Christ. And because of it, in that culture, people said they're weird. Can you relate to this in our day? They, they said, man, you're closed-minded. Man, you've kind of gone off the deep. You need to come back to reality. Um, if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, um, honestly, I'm so glad that you're here for these messages because in the book of 1 Peter, you're going to hear what is at the core of Christianity. This is a perfect series for you to be here for. Thinking of our own culture in light of who Peter was writing to, um, you don't have to look long uh, in our culture to see that the ways of Jesus Christ are in the minority. Um, they're, they're, they're in the minority. When you um, think about living for God, if you have a genuine faith, right, and, um, and you really live that out, you know that there are times when that causes some other people to, to disagree with you. They, they might say of you, wow, you're you're nuts. You're up. T what do you, why? Why bother? What, what, what are you talking about? Um, you might get ridiculed. Maybe uh, you know what it's like to have a coworker uh, ridicule you for your faith in Jesus Christ. Um, you might feel that. Or maybe you're a student and you know that, boy, you've got these certain values and they're based on your faith in Christ and, and you're trying to live out your values, but you know that um, you, you feel alone. You feel like, wow, I'm just kind of I'm kind of lonely in this, and maybe you even question, is, is this really even worth it? Is it worth it for me to stay on this course? Or maybe you've got a neighbor, and, and they just think, wow, you've, you've lost it. What are you talking about? The words of the Apostle Peter, when we get in those circumstances, what do we do? The words of Peter will direct us this morning. So if you've got a Bible, or if you're looking at it on your phone or tablet, flip to 1 Peter. Um, if you're flipping to it, you're going to go through, it's toward the end of the New Testament, you're going to go all the way through a long book of, of Hebrews, and then you'll get to James, a very short book, and then you'll be in 1 Peter. 
Now let me read to you, starting in verse 13 of chapter 1, and you're going to see that Peter lays out a very simple, a very straightforward plan for how to live um, as a person if you're under attack and you're seeking to live out a genuine faith in Christ. What does that mean? Peter's going to, he's going to give us a very simple, um, very simple kind of uh, thing to do in result of that. He writes this, verse 13, Peter says, therefore... With minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Now, imagine this. You got this group of churches and they know Peter, or they've heard of Peter. They've got to be ecstatic that they're getting a letter from the apostle Peter, but their circumstances are not pleasant. They're being persecuted for their faith in Christ. And what does Peter say to them? Be holy because I am holy. I think they were probably thinking, Peter, how about a little bit softer of a landing? I mean, Peter, how about you give us a tender counseling moment where you just, you know, you talk to us, you say, wow, I understand how you how you're feeling, I, I understand what you're going through, I've, I've, I've been there, but Peter doesn't do any of that. It's like, it's like a slap in the face, be holy. Um, he, he goes right to the punch, doesn't he? Now, hang in there with me for a second because we're gonna look back and see why was it that in the midst of the circumstances that these people were facing, why was it that Peter could say to them, as a persecuted church, be holy? Why would that be his antidote? Why would he say that? First, though, I want to ask you this question. When you think of someone who is holy, what comes to mind? Be honest. What's the first thing that comes to mind when you think of someone who is holy? It's probably not pleasant, is it? You might picture a person that's kind of sour, uh, kind of dull, kind of prudish, maybe a victim of religion. Uh, the writer and the theologian C.S. Lewis, he, he called holiness the great myth because he knew and he talked about this. He said it's a tragedy that, that people view holiness in such a negative light. He said it's, it's a tragedy that oftentimes holiness is viewed as something you would never want to pursue because it would lead to a boring, dutiful, unpleasant life. He said, but the, the tragedy in that is this, when you truly experience, when you truly come into contact, even a glimpse of holiness, it is so attractive that you can't get enough of it. This is how he put it. This is a quote of his. He said, how little people know who think that holiness is dull. When one meets the real thing, it is irresistible. Here's how we're going to define holiness. Holiness is the absence of evil. Holiness is a, a, the presence of virtue. It's a person who has godliness. Now, if a man sees a woman who has even a glimpse of holiness, she is going to be very attractive to him because she's patient, she's kind, she's tender, she's godly, she's faithful. If you have a friend that you would say even just resembles a glimpse of holiness, they're the best of friends. They're the kind of friend that you, you just, man, you, you want to get your, if you have kids, you want to get your kids around just to hang out, just to say, watch, watch this person, just see how they live. Just, they're, they're great. If you have a boss that has a resemblance of holiness, when they retire, when they move on, what do you do? You throw a big party for them. Um, you loved being under their leadership. If you have a family member and they have a resemblance of holiness. When they pass, you mourn their loss because of what they meant to you. 
It's that attractive. The words of the Apostle Peter, they're going to guide us this morning, and we're going to dissect this thing of holiness. We're going to look deeply into it, and we're going to see that the Apostle Peter is going to give us a reason why we would say, okay, it's not something I disdain. No, no, no. It's something that I would actually long to have. Now, when it comes to holiness, let me just say this. Some of you are already feeling like this. You feel like, wow, we came to church the wrong Sunday. This guy's going to tell me to be holy, and I don't feel very holy. You'd say, wow, that's a steep climb, and I'm not even on the hill, right? Now, bear with me here, because the the apostle Peter is going to take us on a journey, and I think by the time we finish, you're going to say, okay, that makes sense. It makes sense why he said what he did. Now, notice, though, the first word in verse 13. It's therefore. It's a huge word. Now, if you're reading through the scriptures on your own, and and just as one of your pastors, I would encourage you, whether you're a Christian or not, read through the scriptures. Uh, That's one of the greatest things you could do every day. But if you're reading through the scriptures and you come to one of these, one of these words, therefore, here's the thing that you need to ask, particularly in this instance. You need to ask the question, okay, what is the therefore, therefore? And when we ask that question this morning, we're going to get this big reason why. I'm calling it the big why. It's the reason, okay, this is why Peter said be holy. It's because everything he wrote right up to that point where he said, okay, therefore, in light of that, what is that? That's the the big why. Peter says be holy. So as we discover the big why, we're going to look at the first 12 verses. um, And I believe that we're going to walk away and we're going to say holiness It's not dutiful. It's not dull. We're going to say holiness. I can understand why it's irresistible. If you leave here early, here's the gist of it. We pursue holiness because of who we become in Christ. Okay, let's dive into this letter. Peter writes this in in verse 1. This is amazing. He says this. He says, to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadonia, Asia, and Bithynia who have, and basically you could think this modern-day Turkey is what he's talking about regionally, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood, grace and peace be yours in abundance. Now that's, that's some greeting that the Apostle Peter is giving them. Notice, though, that there are, there are two words I want to draw your attention to this morning. Here's the first, but here they are. The word, he says, to God's elect, and then he says, exiles. Now, pay attention to those two words. You might underline those two words. They're very important. We're going to come back, talk even more about those those two words next week. But here's what he's saying there. A a great synonym, a, a way to understand what he's saying there is this. A great way to think about it is this. Refugee millionaires. Well, what Peter is saying is this. You're elect you're exiles, but you know what you are as an exile? You're a refugee. I'm, I, he said, I, I'll give you that. That's for sure. But he says, you're, you're a millionaire. You're elect. Well, what, what Peter is saying is this. You might be the kind of people that you're despised. You might be the kind of people that you're kind of kicked to the curb because of what you believe and because of the fact that you're following Jesus Christ. But Peter is saying this. Oh, look, look, listen, you're a refugee, yes, but you're a millionaire. Why, why would he say millionaire? Why would he say God's elect? What's true of that position? It's that you're the richest. It's that you're the most blessed in Jesus Christ, more blessed than anyone on the face of the planet. 
Even though you're rejected, Peter is saying this, someday, yes, you're a refugee now, but someday, and he's going to expand on it, someday you're going to have a permanent home, and it is so great. But even now, he's saying, you can take great hope, you're a refugee millionaire. You've got so much in Christ, and he's going to then expand and expand and expand on that. Look at verse 3. This is what he says to these elect exiles. This is what he says to these refugee millionaires. The letter really begins here. He says, praise be to the the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Uh, Peter's saying, you are a refugee millionaire, and the reason why, the reason why it's so significant what your identity is, is because you've got new birth. He's saying, there was a time when, church, you, you didn't know God. You lived in spiritual darkness. You didn't know who God was. You didn't understand the ways of God, but you, you, were, you were reborn. You got new birth, and, and that new birth wasn't just into anything. It was into a living hope. Meaning that you can look forward to the promises of God. It's, it's huge. He's painting this picture that there's something greater to live for than just the here and now. It's a living hope. And then he says, where does it come from? It all comes, this is so important, it comes through, Jesus, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, if you're not a Christian here, I think this is helpful for you to know. We get to come together as Christians once a week, and we do songs, and we feel great when we sing those and do praise to God, and we serve together, and we get to make a difference in our community and really around the world, and we love that. We love the community that we get to share with each other, but honestly, that's all a bonus. This is the core. He says, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, all that we have It hinges right on the resurrection of Christ. And so if you're not a Christian, it's important for you to know this. Historically, it's verifiable that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Our faith hinges on that. If that wasn't true historically, we would not be here today. And so what Peter's saying is this, this new birth into a living hope, what is it through? Oh, don't, let, don't treat this lightly. It's through the resurrection of Jesus Christ that God raised his son from the grave by the power of God, proving that he was God. And he goes on, he says this, but not only that, he says that not only have you been alive and you've got this living hope, he says this, He says, you've got an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. An inheritance. Now, some of you have received an inheritance. Maybe you've already spent it. Um, Or some of you know you're going to receive an inheritance. Um, I just want to take a second and just do a little shout out to my parents. I I know they're watching online every afternoon after I preach. And uh, I I just love you guys. I care about you. And... and, um, Uh, I know it's my mom's birthday today, and so I just wanted you to know that. As your youngest son, the father of your three grandchildren, I I love you. Um, That'll probably backfire, you know, in a major way. But think about this for a second. In inheritance, in this sense, it will never, never fade. It it will never spoil. Uh, There will never be an end to it. Never. Think about that. It's amazing what, what, what Peter is saying here. Um, And then he goes on. He says, not only that, but this inheritance, here's something that's true about it. It's It's not just a bank doesn't have it. He says, this inheritance is kept in heaven for you. Think about that. God is protecting it. Um, It's amazing. 
on a smaller scale. Um, or let, let's go on. Look at verse five with me. This is, this is awesome. It says this. He says, you who through faith are, here it is, you're shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. What Peter's saying here is he's saying, okay, not only do you have this inheritance, not only are you a a refugee, but you're a millionaire because you've got this inheritance. And what's true about the inheritance? What's true about you through faith? Here it is. You're shielded by God's power. Uh, On a small scale, it's like this picture of this group of Navy SEALs and, and they go in and they get this civilian out and they protect them and they, they take them under heavy gunfire all the way to the embassy where they're safe. It's a small scale picture of it. Romans chapter 8 verse 14 says, what then shall we say in response to all of this, the Apostle Paul said, in response to, to all the things that he, Peter's talking about here, what shall, we, what shall we say? He says, if God is for us, who can be against us? Peter wants them to know you're, you're not on your own. You're shielded by God. He's talking to a church that's being persecuted, and he's saying to them, you're not on your own. He's saying the God of the universe knows you, and he loves you. And, and everyone, that's true of you today. God knows you. God knows your circumstances. And he's saying, in your faith, he's saying, I'm shielding you. I'm protecting you. I know you. Now, why doesn't Peter start the letter this way? Why doesn't, he, um, why doesn't he just start right at verse 13 and say, therefore be holy? Peter doesn't do that. I think Peter knew, okay, if I just start with this list of moral laws, if I, if I just start with this, you know, just do this, don't do that, it, they, they won't get it. It won't be helpful to them. But instead, Peter says this, I'm going to give them a grand vision. Peter says, when I write to them, I'm going I'm to tell them, I'm going to remind them of these truths that they can, they can cling to. No matter what circumstances they face, they can cling to these things, and as a result, these things are going to fuel their faith. They're going to help them through this time of persecution. I'm going to give them a grander vision. Imagine that you had an, a, a budding Olympic athlete in your home, a gymnast, you know, a, a, a Gabby Douglas type. And you just watched this little girl just roll around on the floor as a young child, and you thought, there's something special about her. Now, you wouldn't take her to the local gym and stand her before the balance beam and say, hey, I just want to tell you about the rules of the balance beam. I want you to know that if you don't keep your toes pointed straight, they're going to dock you a few points. You wouldn't then take this sweet little girl over to the high bars and say, hey, I want you to know what happens here, and if you bend that way, you're going to get docked or whatever, and I want to tell you all the rules, and very sternly, all the rules about the high bar. You wouldn't do that. It wouldn't be motivating. You'd take that little girl to an arena filled with people, and you'd watch the greatest display of gymnastics you could, get your, you could afford to get into. And as you're sitting there and watching it with her, you'd say to her, do you see the greatness out there? Do, do you see that? Wow, look at, look at how fluid they are. Isn't it amazing? And then you would say to her, you'd say, you know what? That might be your future. That might be you. And what would that do for that little girl? That little girl would then go to the gym and, and she'd get blisters on her hands and she'd be in there hour after hour practicing. But what would she have in the midst of those trials she would have a vision. She would have a picture. And what would it do? It would motivate her. It would keep her going. Do you see what Peter's doing? Peter is saying this. He's saying, there's a vision that is so great. The vision of who God is and who you are in him, it should stun you. 
in a great way. And as a result of it, it will motivate you. It will lead you through. You'll want to be holy. Not because you must, but out of response to him. Rules lead to white-knuckled obedience that Jesus Christ disdains. Religion works like this. Religion says, if I obey, then God will love and accept me. The gospel, though, is like this. The gospel says, I am loved and accepted through Christ, and so I want to obey. I am loved and accepted. I am in Christ. I have an inheritance. What am I? I'm a child of the the living God. My inheritance will never spoil. It will never fade. I've got a new birth. I've got a living hope. And what does it do? I mean, it's amazing. It compels me. Religion says, white knuckle it. Get through. Earn your way. Christianity says this. Away from religion, Jesus disdains it. Christianity says in response to what he's done, it produces, it wells up within me a sense of joy. The picture of Jesus is what Peter wanted them to have. He wanted it to stun them. And as a result, he knew it would motivate them to live. Verse verse 7, this is one last thing I want to show you. Again, what's the reason, what's the big why before Peter gives this command of being holy? First, he says that they're going to have trials, and those trials are going to prove that their faith is genuine. But then he goes on and he says this. He says, as a result of your faith, as a result of what you're going to go through, it's going to result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. And then verse 8 says this. You believe in him, and you are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy, for you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Again, what is Peter doing? He's taking them, and he's saying, I want to give you a bigger vision for your life. Let me ask you a question. Um, What vision would you say is fueling your life? What would you say it is? You might say it's it's an educational vision. It's a financial vision. You might say, the vision that, that, that really fuels my life, it's, it's, uh, it's the American dream. You might say that, um, boy, you fill in the blank. What's the thing that you would say, it's dominating your heart? Again, Peter is saying, this vision of who God is and who you are in him, it is better. It is grander than any vision that you could settle for who God is. And so, By saying all of that, by giving them this picture, this grand picture of who God is, we get to verse 13. And what does Peter say? Here it is again, where we started. Peter says, therefore, in light of it all, church, he says, with minds that are alert and they're fully sober, meaning you're alert, you you know, you understand who you are. He says, set your hope, meaning, meaning don't kind of sit back. But he's saying, I mean, the, the real text there is, it's, it's like, get moving. Uh, don't be passive in your faith. He's saying, set your hope. Go forward on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. And then he says, as obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. Meaning this, there was a time when you didn't know Christ and you didn't understand the ways of God. And what did you do? You conformed to the ways of the world. You did this, that. You did what felt good for you, and you thought, you know, it doesn't impact anybody else. You did all sorts of things. You conformed. But he says, but just as he who called you is holy now, so be holy in all that you do. For it is written, be holy because, he says, I am holy. He's saying this. He's saying, don't conform. He's saying, don't click on that anymore. He's saying, you don't need to linger where you've lingered. 
He's saying, don't say that. He's saying, don't be that kind of a father. No, he's saying, be different. Be a person of virtue. Be a person of godliness. Uh, Be a person that you don't look at holiness and go, that looks dull, but you say, whoa, that looks awesome because I understand what would motivate me to live that kind of life. I want to leave you with two things, two things that I think are true based on Scripture that are true of holiness. The first one is this. Number one, it demands honesty. Um, I love the words of of the psalmist David. When he said this, um, uh, he cried out to God and he said, search me, O God, and know my heart. It tests me. He said, know if there's anything in me. And then he said this, any sinful things in me. And then he said this, and lead me in the way everlasting. If you're going to pursue holiness, if, if our church, if we are going to pursue holiness as a church family, here's what this means. It means we've got to be honest. It means I've got to look in the mirror and you've got to look in the mirror and go, okay, what's my issue? Uh, what is this? Is it greed? Is it lust? Is it discontentment? Well, what is it? What are the things that I would say, okay, they, they pull me away. I'm conforming. I look more like the culture around me than I do like the pursuit of holiness. What are those things? But I don't just stop there. I say, okay, God, thank you that you revealed those to me. But now as David said, what do I do with that? I say, okay, God, lead me. Lead me in the way everlasting. Lead me to that place where I'm so caught up in who I am that pursuing holiness makes complete sense and it's appealing to me. The second thing that I think holiness uh, is true of holiness is this. It's irresistible. Man, when you see it in somebody, it's, it's irresistible. You want it. So many of you, you, you want, you come here week after week, or maybe you're brand new here, and you would just say this. You say, I want to make a difference with my one and only life. Know this. When you pursue holiness, it's irresistible. Uh, people will long to see it in you. Um, it's irresistible for us as a church to live that way. It's impactful. And so what do we do? We do this. We say, therefore... Be holy. Why? We be holy because he is holy. We be holy because we look at those first 12 verses and we go, if that's true, and it is true, I can go, okay, wow, that makes, makes complete sense why he would say be holy because of who I am. So let's do this. Let's pray that God would help us with that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that um, it could be said of us today very easily, we are refugee millionaires. We are the kind of people, Lord, that um, this is not our home. We have an inheritance that is in heaven. It is protected by you. We have new birth. We have a living hope. God, we're so incredibly grateful for that. And this morning, we just want to say to you, thank you for our standing in Christ. It's amazing. It blows our minds, Lord. And Lord, we want to say to you today, Lord, help us, motivate us, stun us again by who you are and might it cause us to seek holiness, not because of who we are. We know, Lord, left to ourselves, we would fall completely short. But Lord, by your grace, we pursue holiness. We remember the words of Hebrews that we are made perfect in Christ. We're seen as perfect in Christ. But as we're seen perfect in you, you're making us holy. You're leading us to become more and more like you. We thank you for that. We pray that in Christ's name. Amen.